Good day, everybody, and welcome back to the Coach's Plan Podcast. Bienvenue et bonjour au podcast Plan de Coach. I'm your co-host, P.L. Savoie, and we have a great episode for you today. Eight-time Canadian champion and head coach of the University of New Brunswick Reds men hockey team, please help me welcome Coach Gardner McDougall. Yes, Pierre. Awesome. How are you doing today? Oh, very good, thanks. Awesome. Now, where, where's home? Do you go in the Fredericton area, Moncton, or? I currently reside in the Fredericton area up on the uh, north side. Okay. And, and where's home originally for you? I'm originally from uh, Bathurst, New Brunswick. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, sir, and how yeah. long have you been with the Coaches Association now? I've been doing the podcast with them since about um, April, uh, April, yes. May. Yeah. yeah. I went to uh, Canada Games um, this past winter and uh, with uh, Mano Willett who, uh, and, right. uh, and Gabe. They were both uh, there and uh, we had a good conversation. They kind of brought me on board along with the podcast and I've been kind of helping them out ever since uh, since that time. Yeah. Yeah, it's tremendous. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, that's excellent. How long have you been in Fredericton now? I came to Fredericton in 2018 for to study okay. at UNB, study yeah. business at UNB, and uh, I've just stayed uh, stayed here ever since. Yeah, good for you. Excellent. Yeah. It's a good city. Yes, yes, sir. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, no. And you, you, yourself, you're, you're from PI, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes, originally? PI originally. Yes, yeah. And uh, I did uh, started my coaching in Western Canada, actually. And we were there for 16 years. My wife's from Manitoba, and then we've been back here. This is year number 24 at UNB. <laughs> wow. Well, that's awesome, actually, that you kind of, kind of touched on. That's kind of the beginning of the podcast. I kind of want to highlight a bit of maybe some people who, who are listening in or, or, or are new to the podcast that might not know. Um, like, who is Coach Mac? You know, like a little bit about your career and about where you're from and how, how uh, you got into the positions that you are today. So it'd be, yeah, let, tell us a bit a bit more on that about uh, about your career and, uh, and um, everything that uh, brought you to where you are today. Yeah, no, no, that's super. Uh, yeah, originally from PEI, and uh, a little place called Bedeck PEI, uh, just probably eight miles from Borden, where you cross on the Confederation Bridge. And uh, I uh, actually, from graduation at Three Oaks Senior High, Summerside PEI, I went to St. Francis Xavier, uh, four years for physical education, and I had one year at St. Mary's University for education. Uh, worked one year in, in Borden PEI as a the recreation director, arena manager. And uh, after that, I uh, had a physical education degree. I went to Northern Manitoba, a native reserve called Norway House, probably eight hours north of Winnipeg and uh, spent a couple of years there. And then I got into coaching. I took a job in a small little spot called Cranberry Portage, uh, just outside Flin Flon, Manitoba. And they had a, uh, they had a hockey program and uh, I ended up uh, staying there four years, which is a tremendous experience up that way. Did a lot of traveling through Manitoba and Saskatchewan and coached a lot of hockey games. And after that, got involved in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, Flin Flon Bombers originally, and then uh, expansion team at Labrette, Saskatchewan, which was in the Fort Capel, just outside Regina. And then after that, started another expansion uh, a team back in Manitoba, uh, up in uh, Apaska Cree Nation. Uh, the Paw Manitoba OCN Blizzard, it was called. And we had three tremendous seasons with that team up there. And uh, took uh, along the way, took a couple of years. Uh, I was a physical education leadership consultant for a couple of years in Frontier School Division out of Winnipeg. Uh, had 36 schools all across the province of Manitoba that I looked after. And then uh, took one year as an elementary phys ed teacher, but ended up at UNB in, in uh, 2000. And uh, we've been here since uh, with uh, at, at one time the varsity Reds, now the Reds. 
you know, so it's been uh, yeah, tremendous experience here in, in Fredericton at UNB. Right on. Have you ever gone overseas by chance for, for uh, in your coach career for for coaching or on those on for purposes? Yes, yeah, we've been fortunate to to go there quite a few times. Uh, when I was coaching junior hockey in the Western Canada, we made one trip uh, to Modo, Sweden. Uh, played uh, five games over against Swedish uh, junior elite teams, and then uh, uh, Ovik, uh, Orenskala, Modo. Uh, where the Sedin brothers actually was set up by uh, Marcus uh, Naslin's dad at that time. And we played the Sedin brothers uh, when they were in junior hockey in Modo. We had a game against them. And then I've been over World University games a couple of times to Italy in 2007 and uh, Trevino. Uh, Italy did just one year after hosting the the Winter Olympics. And then uh, 2013, we got a chance to go back over there. I've uh, been over to Russia uh, one time for the World Club Championships uh, hosted by uh, uh, Medvedev, who was the president of the KHL and, and the Rus- wow. Russian Hockey Federation at that time. And we hosted that team in 2012 here to Fredericton for a couple of games. You know, so we've been fortunate. I had a son that played a year of pro hockey over in Europe. So I made a trip over to uh, Edinburgh, Scotland <laughs> in Christmas. And uh, yeah, I've been a, a couple other trips over there as well. So it's, uh, yeah, have a few occasions ago. We're supposed to go over to Switzerland two years ago, but unfortunately COVID for the, the winter uh, university games, but it unfortunately got canceled at that time. I see. Well, that's quite the traveling. That's uh, quite the quite the passport you got there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's always neat experiences. I think anytime you get the, a chance to go outside, uh, you know, outside Canada. I mean, Canada's still the hotbed of hockey, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, it's great. You know, you always pick up uh, interesting things from you know trips over to those countries as well. Yeah, different cultures and different ways of life, definitely. Uh, but uh, all united by one thing, and that's the love for sport, right? Yes, no question. Um, one thing I kind of wanted to to touch base on here, since you uh, you mentioned a lot of, a lot of uh, career experiences, what does coaching mean to you? I think probably the biggest difference is just uh, making a difference and, and adding value to the people that uh, you know you get to work with on, on a daily basis. And uh, obviously, my primary job is you know the UMB at the at the university level, and it, it's trying to make a difference in their lives and. I think I, I probably have a serve mentality. Our job is to serve our players, uh, you know, as players, but as people, you know, I think they're going to be a, uh, people a lot longer than they're going to be hockey players right now. Their dream is to to be the absolute best hockey player they can be and, and represent the UNB at, at uh, you know, the utmost of their abilities, but in the big picture, they're going to be, uh, you know, adults down the road. So I think, you know, you add in values, uh, to the human part of it and the people part of it, but also obviously to the hockey part of it as well. But, uh, you know, we do a lot of youth camps here at UNB as well. So I think whether, uh, you know, we practice and our guys at three o'clock or whether we're running, uh, you know, youth camps at six o'clock or a three on three camp, you know, uh, on the weekend, whatever it may be, I think, you know, we're trying to make a difference uh, with the people that we associate with. Oh, that's awesome. Um, you mentioned a while ago that you had a son that played professional over in Europe. He also played, if I'm not mistaken, if I recall correctly, at university level as well, right? Yes. Yeah. No, it was, a, yeah, you know, came through the Fredericton minor hockey and, and then the AAA program uh, through the Wee Bantam and Midget at that time. I guess it's under 13, under 15, under 18 now. 
uh, played five years of major junior hockey in, in the Quebec major junior league and got to, uh, you know, start his career over in St. John's Newfoundland and, and then move up to Montreal, uh, you know, was a teammate and a longtime friend uh, with Jake Allen. They were together in Newfoundland, wow. they were together in Montreal and uh, uh, Taylor uh, got traded to Cape Breton his last uh, two and a half seasons of his major junior career and had an outstanding uh, experiences down there with the, the Eagles. And then, uh, got the chance to come to UNB for five years. So, uh, yeah, you know, certainly a, a really neat opportunity to be his coach and also be his dad. And, uh, I think it's helped me so much as a coach, uh, you know, to have a son, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of hockey dads out there and I was fortunate enough to be a hockey dad and a hockey coach. And I probably learned a lot, uh, about hockey coaching by being a hockey dad. And, uh, you know, it's really helped me and those experiences and, you know, you see the perspective that dads have on, on their sons or daughters coming through minor hockey, you know, originally. And, and then, you know, for those that are fortunate enough to, to either go to junior A or to major junior hockey and, and then, you know, a career after that. So it gives me a, a really neat perspective. That's for sure. Yeah, it must have been a cool experience. And like you said, a cool opportunity to for both of you. That's awesome. Um. Yeah. So another thing that we kind of do here uh, on the podcast, just to like, just, I just chat with the, with the guests. We don't really have anything scripted, nothing planned. Uh, they don't really send any questions beforehand. So anything, uh, you know, common uh, conversations or topics that you like to, to, to throw out or discuss, uh, you're more than welcome to, uh, to, to along the podcast. Um, a few things I had written down, um, just, uh, since you obviously said you started your career, uh, in the early two thousands, what, what would you say, has how has sport or coaching changed since you started your career yeah that's a good question <laughs> you know there's a uh i think in all sport and all society you know obviously sports a big part of society for a lot of people but uh you know in the last uh 23 years there's, there's been a lot of you know changes i think in uh, how sports proceed and, and uh, even now just you know the literature i remember you know, starting my coaching career in 1985 uh, in, in Manitoba. And uh, the one the one hockey conference at that time was a Roger Nielsen hockey camp or hockey conference in Windsor, Ontario. And uh, I had read about it. And Roger Nielsen was, you know, one of those NHL coaches that you, you looked up to and aspire because he was such a, at that time, you know, revolutionary coach. He was very detailed, uh, came up with a lot of neat hockey rules or changes to hockey rules. He's very innovative and, uh, you know, would be one of the coaches that I, you know, would have read about whatever I could and inspired to, you know, take uh, knowledge from. And I remember sending him a letter uh, you know, from just outside Flin Flon and saying, I couldn't get to his, to his clinic, but could I buy his coaching manual for that particular conference? And, you know, probably a couple of months later at that time, he was coached with the New York Rangers. I, I get this package came up to Cranberry Portage and, uh, you know, the manuals inside, which at that time would be like a hockey Bible to me because you couldn't find any literature in hockey very much. And, uh, you know, I was a New York Ranger fan. He had sent me, you know, some information on the Rangers, uh, you know, t-shirt, uh, pins, this kind of thing. And I, I really thought for a guy to take the time, you know, for just a, a coach for a way up a remote and, you know, he probably gets all kinds of letters and requests. I thought it was just so classy of the guy. And, uh, I attended his conference many times. I got a chance to meet him and, uh, I've spoken at the conference, I think five or six times. And I remember the first time I spoke was one year after he passed away, I had kept the letter 
and I started my conference by reading the letter and it was probably, you know, 20 years in difference between that letter and getting a chance to present at that conference. But uh, you remember those little things uh, that a person like that does, you know, so that those, you know, that I think that just the literature now in hockey, if you're a hockey coach, whether you could be coaching recreation hockey, you could be coaching the under 13 AAA in your home community. I uh, could coach, you know, for a living in junior A or major junior. There's just so much literature now. Like you want help in the power play, <laughs> you Google power play and okay. Power play breakouts. Uh, you'll have a thousand pages <laughs> you know? or but video or anything. Yeah. yeah YouTube. And... Yes. There's so much information, which is tremendous, you know, and now it, it'd be just, okay, what is important? What isn't? And, and just di dissecting it, you know, cause you could spend hours and hours of the day just looking up. So I think the knowledge is there, you know, I think your know, coaching is an art and a science and in the science part, there's so much information now. I think the art, uh, you know, that's still a personal touch. And, and you get that by practice and, and emulation, but you can, you know, you can pick up so many things on, on coaching now, not only hockey coaching, but coaching any sport now, you know, but I still, I think, you know, I still think the biggest part of coaching now is still connecting. You know, I think the coach has to connect with the players, you know, whether you have a, you know, an introductory team at six and seven year olds, or, you know, you're coaching midgets, or maybe you're coaching senior hockey, you still have to connect with your players. And I think even more so, I think uh, energy uh, communication skills are probably more apparent now than ever, you know, maybe 20 years ago, the coach was a boss, whatever he said, that was absolute. Now I, I think you have to sell, you know, sell whatever your philosophy is as a coach and, uh, you know, your game plan and, and your, you know, your technical progression through the year and that type of thing. I think you're selling to your players are probably more important in minor hockey or selling it to the, to the parents. So I think, you know, I remember an old adage, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I think now there's, there's more emphasis on, on, on really doing a good job of, of your practices, really well-planned. I think practice is, is like a production, you know, you go to uh, watch a movie or you go to the theater and you see a production and how it's in sync and how, you know, lines go together into chapters, chapters go together and then you have a book. So I think, you know, I think coaches have to spend time and, you know, how one drill is going to lead to another drill, another drill lead to another drill. And uh, during COVID, I had a chance to, uh, you know, a little time I, I kind of enrolled in a master's course at UNB and part one of my assignments was just uh, efficient coaching, you know, and I, I watched a lot of, pra you know, practices, uh, you know, at the under 13, under 15, the major junior and just, you know, watch practice. And, and I was more on the efficiency of practice, like how much time is actually on task. And I think a lot of times, you know, we can find ways to be more efficient and be more on task, you know, rather than a lot of times spent talking and things like that. How can one drill lead to another drill to another drill? You know, do, do your players hustle in when you whistle them in to go over to the next drill? Do you let them just kind of casually skate in? You, you know, you can waste a minute or two there. They casually skate out. There's a minute or two wasted. You know, that's four minutes wasted. If you do it three or four times of practice, that may be 10 or 12 minutes that you kind of wasted a little bit. And, and then if you run 50 practices, that's a lot of minutes wasted. So just there's a lot of those things. I think now as coaches, I think you, the efficiency of a practice and, and really connecting with your players and that could be any sport, but, you know, we're talking about hockey more so here, but I think in any sport, you, you look at, uh, you know, 
uh, feedback. I think I always say feedback's the breakfast of champions. And, uh, you know, when you have a practice, I think, you know, coaches should look at, okay, how did the practice go? Take a few minutes and right after the practice, what drill really worked well? Uh, okay, could we expand that drill, make it a little more progressive? Uh, uh, maybe that drill didn't go as much, best we can. You know, before we'd blame the players, but now I think you always have to look at yourself in the mirror as a coach and make yourself accountable, first of all. And, you know, if the players didn't get it, how can I communicate better to make sure the players get it? You know, and I, and I think one of the things is just simplicity. Sometimes someone once said simplicity is the ultimate form of sophistication. And then can you take, a, you know, maybe it's you're teaching a new breakout or, you know, your forecheck, anything like that. How can you make it so simple that everyone will, you know, the first time through that will totally understand what you're trying to do, you know, that type of stuff. And can you make that efficient rather than taking six minutes to explain it on the board? Can you do it in 90 seconds and still get everyone to understand? So I think that's one of the concepts that as coaches, and it's not easy, but that's, you know, it's getting some feedback uh, yourself and looking, how can I make that better? You know, so I think that's maybe one of the biggest change I find as a coach. Perfect. That's some great insight. And for everybody, you know, who, uh, who hasn't been in those positions, I know, uh, uh, you know, like you said, it, it's a leadership position. You want to make sure that you're, you're portraying yourself correctly and that you're, 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 you're gaining not just uh, coaching uh, a player or, or a position, but coaching a human being who eventually, you know, like you said, will become something after the sport uh, as well. Um, how would you say, you know, we've, you we talked about how technology kind of uh, helped uh, uh learning of the game or the positive of technology on the game but has there been any negative impact that technology could have been could have had in the recent years over like the abundance of technology uh or you know social media and, and, and things like that um that kind of were now hurdles uh to maybe go over um instead of you know helping the learning or teaching ability it might have been uh you know maybe people are on their phones more often or things like that is there anything around technology that is a hurdle now as a coach that it wasn't maybe 15 years ago well it's a cer certainly a valuable tool you know and and it is part of your coaching uh, you know equipment or you know your coaching bag of you know and, and a big part you know and it starts at an early age now but i i remember in you know 2000 starting out at umb uh you know, it was back in the VCR days and, uh, you know, your games were taped uh, to be on the VCR and uh, you'd watch the V. I like watching every game afterwards. We have a, an efficiency chart that we've been doing for a long time. And uh, maybe it was a pre uh, to analytics now, certainly not as detailed as the analytic packages that you can get, but kind of makes sense of what we do. But you go through that and then you try to put a highlight tape together and you'd be, you know, in the lab at the Davery Hall at the education center at UNB and you'd be dubbing this tape into this tape. And then you'd be taking another VCR and you'd, you'd spend hours and hours and hours there, especially in the year you try to make a highlight before playoffs. And you'd be spending all this time to the wee hours putting this VCR tape together and hopefully it worked. Uh, now it's so accessible and, and, and uh, you know, we have terrific video people, uh, you know, with our program, uh, 
in fact, I, I do a way less, less video than I would have done as a young coach. You know, I have uh, Rob Hemiker, who I think is the smartest guy I've known in hockey. I had him as a player for four years, but he just, uh, just an unbelievable source of knowledge. He can take a game and, you know, 60 minute game and he can break it down to a four minute video and everyone, okay, knows what they did right. And uh, looks at things that they can do better. And, and Brad Good is, you know, tremendous with their penalty kill and very, very detailed and, you know, uh, what he does and, and both of their, you know, tremendous people, uh, you know, our video, we've had Brandon Goodspeed for the last five years for his program, but we've had three of our video guys have gone on to, you know, Hockey Canada positions. Andrew Brewer has spent many, many years in the National Hockey League and now is working with a, a video company trying to transform from basketball to hockey. You know, he's got a big position. He's working at a Tampa Bay now. And uh, so these people are just tremendous source. And uh, I think, you know, you can find specialists and I think even coaches in minor hockey, uh, there's a lot of parents that would have access to video that you can use that, but I think it's still a tool. It's, you know, it's an instrument to use. It's not the end all be all. You still, you know, it's the player still got to play the game. Uh, I think anytime you do that, it's easy to look at the mistakes, uh, you know, I, you know, in our human mind, uh, this, you know, psychologists say there's up to 40,000 impulses of thoughts go through our mind every day, which is amazing. Wow. And up to 80% are negative in origin, you know, so it, it's easy to be negative. I mean, you can go down to Tim Hortons on a rainy day and you can find, you know, 15 out of 18 people. What a crappy day we got going here. You know, I think you got to work hard to be positive. And I, I think positivity is a real source for a coach to have and, and and same with the video it's it's easy to find the mistakes but can you find the positive and uh, you know we always think that we have to fix the mistakes which you certainly do but i think the video sessions have to be more positive i, I would say 80 percent positive and then you got to do some teaching and, and, and you certainly have to have accountability uh, and i think uh, you know with video you can probably maybe get carried too long i mean you hear all the stories even you know from the major junior in professional, I talked to a, a Brian McKenna, you know, a longtime commissioner of the East Coast Hockey League was at our game on Friday night and, you know, has been an NHL executive, American League executive. And, you know, he, he does special, he's retired now. He does special projects, expansion teams and stuff. And, you know, he was telling me his last expansion team, you know, that there were just long video sessions from the coach and the players get turned off, you know. And again, I go back to simplicity. Can you, can you do a four minute video and teach what you want to teach? It's easy to put a 15 minute video together, but, you know, human interest, uh, lots of studies, it's, you know, uh, you better be get my attention in the first 15, 20 seconds, you know, and, and if you want to keep it and it's going to be limited, you know, so I think, I, again, it's a great instrument. I think it's valuable. And there's lots of great things. Uh, and nowadays, you know, I, I'm sure there's eight year old parents that probably video practices and games of their son and probably go over it with them as a father's <laughs> you know players you know our all major junior players would have access now to every game our players have access to every game by 11 o'clock that evening so most players will watch their shifts for sure watch the game over you know and i think part of it is is also taking the positive not okay you had some tough shifts but you know trying to say hey yeah, there's a lot of positive shifts sometimes players are too hard on themselves and, uh, you know, that type of thing. And sometimes I think maybe they watch maybe too much video sometimes, you know, so it's a great instrument. And uh, I think it's very, very valuable and you can find different ways, but I think it's still, it's still an instrument It's still part of your, you know, your coaching uh, toolbox per se. I like it. Um, 
Speaking of the, you know, the coaching toolbox, um, is there any advice you'd have out there for the, you know, early coaches or people who maybe not even coaching yet and that are thinking about getting into coaching yet? anything that you would say to, to your younger self? Yeah, I think the one thing, like, I think you, you have to have like a philosophy or a purpose, you know, so I've been lucky when I came to UNB, it helped because our, our motto at UNB is make a significant difference. And so I took that once I got the job at UMB, but I think a lot of, you know, coaches, leaders make a significant difference. Sometimes it's not always positive. So I think, I think you got to add, make a positive significant difference and say, how can I add value to the people I coach? And for, you know, a coach coming up, I think you have to have your philosophy. I always think, and when we do, you know, sessions with minor hockey coaches, I think uh, your job is to, can you make this the best every year for the people that you coach? You know, so I think that best ever can, you know, there's lots of things that fall under that. And it's not always about wins and losses. So certainly that's, you're playing a sport and it's competition. So it's going to be part of it, whether you like it or not. And obviously the, you know, if you have success, a lot of people judge on your wins and losses, uh, which is unfortunate, you know, but I think, you know, if you're coaching a rec team or whether you're coaching a, you know, double A team or a triple A team, you know, how can I make the best ever? And I go back to planning, you know, even for the season starts, have you put some time into what do you want to accomplish with each player that you have, you know, so there's, there's a technical skill that you want to improve. You know, the skating is the big thing now. It has always been, I think, but even more so now. The game is fast. The game is speed. So, you know, how can I improve the skating techniques? And there's lots of different ones. You know, this, the, the puck skills, you know, the passing, I think, is something we still got to work on a lot. Uh, people love to shoot. And uh, but you can get better at it. So, you know, the puck skills, the stick cannon skills, the shooting skills, you know, those are uh, those are your technical skills. I think there's uh, your competitive skills, the intangibles, uh, you know, uh, your work ethic. And I always think there's three parts of a work ethic. Uh, you know, there's uh, the smarts. You know, like, how can you make your kids smarter? Because that's a big part of work ethic. I think if you know what you're doing and where you're going, uh, I think there's intensity level, you know, uh, how hard are you working? What level of work ethic do you have? And I think I, I go back work ethic, I think is the number one skill you can teach players. That's a skill, I believe, to work hard. So I think that's, it's always on the, the coach, what he's, you know, they always talk about culture of your teams and things like that, but it's always the coach is the leader of the work ethic level. What are you going to put up with and what are you going to let go? You know, and if, if you're going to let people come in slow when you blow the whistle, that's what they're going to do. If you say, hey, we want you to come in faster, that they'll do that for you. You know, so I think part of that. And then the third part of work, I think, I think is the compete or the grit level. You know, in, in the sport of hockey, there's a lot of one-on-ones. You go to the rink uh, at the Grand Harvey on Saturday morning and the seven-year-olds are out there. There's going to be a loose puck and there's two players going to be almost the same speed and they're going to meet and one player is going to get the puck over the other player. You know, so uh, I said, the, you know, the puck doesn't know who's bigger or who's stronger. The puck knows who's faster and who's grittier. You know, so if, if two people are the same, like speed will always win. But if two people are equal in speed, uh, grit will usually win. So I think part of your job as a coach is can you be a little more competitive and you teach, you know, puck like, you know, 50, 50. There's lots of little drills. Uh, you can be harder on your stick and you can win those 50, 50 pucks. 
And the same thing, you know, we're trying to teach for our game on Friday night at the Aiken Center. And the same thing, the National Hockey League will be doing uh, Wednesday night when the NHL starts. You know, the 50-50 pucks are on every level, you know, and usually the team that can win the most of them is usually going to be the team that's successful. You know, so I think the work ethic is a big part, the intangible skills, your work ethic, your compete level and your grit level at different components, but they're going to be well needed for your team to be successful. I think the other you have to say, how am I going to make this an enjoyable session? You know, when your kids come off the ice, uh, do they have red faces? You know, have they absolutely worked their best ever, the hardest, but have they enjoyed it? You know, so I think probably, you know, work ethic uh, without joy is drudgery. Work ethic with joy leads to high performance. You know, so I think, uh, you know, kids, when they, 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 they love the value of working and competing, that's where you're going to have success as a coach. And, and you'll see that as a coach, you'll, you'll see in your practices, and that'll carry over into your games where your, your kids are putting the extra effort in, uh, you know, whether it's hustling for a puck or hustling off on a shift or hustling on the back check to get the puck, you know. Uh, when I first started coaching, a veteran guy, you know, a veteran coach had told me there's three important things about coaching. You know, uh, if you can get your team to work hard, if you can get your team to really enjoy, you know, chasing and getting the puck. And if you, if you get your team to really enjoy playing for one another, you know, and I think, you know, there's a lot of other things going to coaching. But if you can start with those three uh, at the end of the year, do your team like being around one another? And, uh, you know, uh, and it doesn't matter uh, whether you're, you know, like I say, at the under seven level. Uh, or at our level, you know, there's the on ice practices, but you know, what things are you doing for your team away from the ice where they get to know one another, you know, and, uh, you know, it can be sessions at a gym. Okay. We're going to go meet at a gym and do some stuff there. Maybe it's playing other sports, that type of thing, or maybe you get together and uh, you do a little teaching session, but yeah, you know, maybe you have a potluck supper with the parents and all the parents get together and then all the kids get together. Because I think again, your job as a coach and, 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 you know, like, you know, 90%, probably 95% of our coaches in Atlantic Canada are volunteers. But I think uh, once you get the position, uh, throw the volunteer out of the way. Your job is to make a difference with that kid. And uh, can you create a best ever experience, you know, and, and then you sit down with your coaches. And then I think the feedback, I think, is important for coaches. And I think uh, a lot of times you can get feedback from the parents or from the kids, depending on, you know, the age group. But I think, you know, before you start, you'll have your own philosophy and what you want to do as a staff, but perception is reality. And uh, you want to find out what, it, what do the parents expect? So I think you can put a, you know, a five to 10 question sheet available very early. And, you know, once your team is picked and, and this is a team you have for the year, you just get some feedback from the parents. You know, what at the end of the year, what the little Johnny, your little Johnny, seven years old or 12 years old or 16 years old, what are your expectations uh, for the year? And, and what would you like to see your son, you know, in eight months time? You know, and it, you know, you took a technical progression, uh, the tactical learning more about the game. And, you know, we can teach, uh, you know, 10 year olds, you can teach a lot about the game. If you make it simplistic, you can, uh, you know, our four check at UMB, there wouldn't be a lot difference in lots of four checks at the 12 and 14 year old level, but uh, our four checks, very simple. We just want to be, or, you know, we want to be extraordinary on how we execute it. You know, that type of thing. And if the Green Bay Packers won the first Super Bowl. And their, their uh, motto was, uh, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. The same play was coming from Vince Lombardi almost every time a running play. And they just executed so well 
that they ended up winning a, you know, a Super Bowl because of it. So uh, sometimes I think we want to be sophisticated. We want to think that we're going to do this, but uh, I think if you're simple, you can, you can really add to simple, you know, methods. So I think that's the biggest thing for a young coach. I know it's a long drawn out answer. No, but, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, I think that's uh, you know, when you look at your coaching, okay. Is, is the planning is key, but also feedback from the group that you're coaching. Cause it's really all about them. You know, I think it's never about the coach. It's always about the player and, 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 you know, twofold, it's about the player and the parents, you know, that type of stuff. Cause they're, they're paying the money for minor hockey. So you want to make sure that it's at the end, it's a great marriage between the parents, the kids and yourself and your philosophy. And you know, I think early on, here's my philosophy. Here's how I want to add value to your son or daughter. And, uh, and we want to have a great journey together this year, you know, it's part of the journey and, uh, you know, and, and making a difference in their lives. I really enjoyed your insight, and I, uh, you know, I played uh, minor hockey growing up, and I played uh, minor league basketball as well. So, um, like you, you said it just well. I, I remember one of my coaches saying to me uh, uh, in basketball, you know, you can win a game two to nothing. You know, you can play defense the entire game and win it. It's so simplicity, like you said, is is nothing uh, uh, out of the ordinary in the sense that if you can execute it to the T uh, better than anybody else, you have a better chance of uh, taking the outcome in your favor. So uh, I definitely agree with what you're saying. And uh, uh, I kind of have a question in regards to the sport of hockey as a whole and and wondering what your opinion uh, on the topic is. And just in general, do you think uh, people or athletes are are learning or learn to play contact hockey at the right age? Yeah, I mean, it's always an interesting perspective, you know, um, and I think Hockey can has bounced around a little bit and obviously they're the, you know, the, the leaders of hockey development in our country and uh, I, and I'd have to be, you know, in minor hockey, I'd have to say, <laughs> I don't know if it's introduced to Peewee or Bantam, I believe now. I think it's Bantam now, yes. Yeah, up in the Bantam and uh, I mean, there's always a size difference and I think that again is, it's how it's taught, I think. You know, we've run a lot of different, uh, you know, checking clinics. I know Eric Nielsen, you know, a recently retired pro hockey player, I was just running one this uh, this fall. Uh, if they learned at a different age, is there any difference at the high level? Yeah, and I, I think you'd have to probably study some, and that thing, I think. But I think, you know, the, the guys that are going to the high level, I think, learn how to do it. You know, okay. it could be at a peewee level. I mean, a big part of that is, you know, you're skating, your balance your intangibles, your grit, your courage, things like that. I think angling is a big part of the game. And I think it can be taught probably earlier than you need to, or, I mean, earlier than we do. You know, I think it's a, it's a real big skill now, uh, like even defensemen where before uh, defensemen, you know, everything was, you know, backing up and on your heels. Now defense is played moving forward, you know, and uh, we probably started, four or five years ago at UMB doing that. Uh, it's in vogue now, you know, at the major junior and certainly at the National Hockey League. But I think even at the younger, at the, you can teach that at the peewee level and the bantam level and, and, and that type of thing, you know. So it's I think it's not as hard hitting now the game. I think there's more angling and, and pursuing the puck and being hard on the puck. But I think there's a lot of value for those players that are hard-nosed and, and you know finish their checks uh it's not as much and, and i think there's more 
severe penalties for hard hits, even though they, they may be clean now. You know, the game has evolved. I, I remember I in Manitoba, I had the privilege of coaching the Tutu brothers. Uh, I had oh, Jordan wow. Tutu as a 15-year-old and I had his older brother Terrence was 18 years old at that time. And uh, I had two of them on the same line. I called them the bang, boom, and crash line. And they would often have 13 to 15 hits each and almost every game. You know, they would, wouldn't be unknown to have 30 hits between them. And, you know, and rarely do you get 30 hits for a whole team nowadays, you know. So, oh. and, and, you know, and now you look at Jordan Tutu, didn't play organized hockey till he was 14. You know, he moved from, in you know, in the Northwest Territories, Rankin Inlet, down to just outside Edmonton, Alberta at 14 to play bantam hockey at that time. He had played, you know, just pick up hockey at home. Uh, played tournaments in the spring and on weekends and played with his dad and all that type of stuff. So, so obviously he had a natural, but you know, he didn't have a lot of teaching early, you know, that type of stuff. So, but I think it's, our job is to teach it the right way. And uh, you know, we, you were blessed with, if hockey Canada says it's 14, it's 14, you know, and our job as a coach, but I think you can teach angling skills and which is probably 80 percent of physical contact and body checking you know so and then you're adding the next you know if it's bantam when it's in then you're adding the next 20 percent then you know it's just big basically the angling now you're just finishing you know you're you're finishing your angle now with body contact where before you're you're probably finishing hard on the stick you know that type of stuff so i think again but part of that is also you know just the fitness part and, and the off-season conditioning of, of getting stronger and especially for players that may be not mature enough yet you know and maybe just growing into their bodies you know that type of thing you know that you could get a 14 year old that's you know 75 pounds 80 pounds and you can get a 14 year old that's 150 pounds you know <laughs> and maybe you know just uh you know so there's always but there's always been that in hockey you know so i think there's adjustment i mean hockey's always found a way to you know to create, uh, I mean, this, you know, the one is the enjoyment that everyone likes to play, but also then the development of, you know, the elite, more elite player that's going on to junior hockey and major junior hockey, you know, so. And to push that even in further consideration, I know, I don't, I if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think fighting is, is uh, there is no fighting in uh, the university leagues, like, correct? At the moment. Yes, correct. Yeah. Uh, how, uh, what would, what, What's your opinion on that on the game? I know it's a big part of the game. I've played, like I said, I play hockey as well, and I enjoy. But uh, you know, it. I I know how those snares can be. I know how, how things can get. Um, and we just talked about you know what the hitting age is. But how? Uh, what's your opinion on on the fighting aspect of the game? Kind of the it, you know the policing of of the game, if, if you will. Yeah. No. And I mean, it's another interesting topic, and and I don't know if there's a right and, and an absolute wrong on it. I mean, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, just you know, uh, very strict policy this year, I believe. I, I'm not sure exact the rules, but I think they're limited to maybe three fights the season and suspensions or whatever it may be. Uh, I've been, you know, I would probably have maybe had the toughest junior team in Canada. You know, I, we're out of the. The Paw Manitoba, OCN Manitoba. Sometimes when I was a coach in, uh, let's say, it's a blue collar community in Flin Flon, Manitoba. These places are, you know, people who work hard for their money. They want a hardworking team and, and physical contact. At, at that time in the, the, the 80s and 90s was in bulk, you know, so that was the nature of the beast. And, and we had very physical, very tough uh, people. Yeah, enjoyed that part of the game. Yeah. But I've been now 20, you know, going on. I guess 23rd season, 24th year at UMB. And, uh, you know, 
uh, we probably had 10 fights in 20, <laughs> maybe 10 or 12 fights in 24 years. So uh, you evolve and it's a great, you know, it's a great game. You look at the Olympics, there's no fighting at the Olympics and unbelievable hockey. You know, yeah. uh, I got the, you know, the good uh, fortune to coach the Memorial Cup uh, uh, in St. John. And, and this is the best uh, major junior. And, and at that time, you know, the first real tournament back after COVID. So, you know, jam-packed, great attendance. And, uh, you know, in, in the four games we played, we had one fight. But that one fight was a highlight. <laughs> you know, like it, it was a lift for our team, but a big lift for the crowd as well. You know, and, uh, you know, so there's some part, certainly in the game at the, at the level, you know, I think it's our society's changed now. So it's not that you need 10 fights a game and all that type of thing, but the, the odd one, sometimes it's, it's still popular, um, you know, so I think it's finding this place for it. You know, I know at the university level, you know, we don't have it. We have great attendance at UNB and, uh, you know, and our whole AUS, you know, better than, than most but I, I know if there was one or two uh, those uh, altercations a game, it'd probably be sellout. But I think it would prefer <laughs> from the actual game, unfortunately. You know, it'd be the designated guy that's going to do it. You know, so I think there's there's some merit. Certainly, our society's changed. The game of hockey's changed the worldwide, and uh, there's people you know a lot smarter than me that are making these decisions uh, for what they see for the advancement of the game. You know, so I'm, I'm sure the diehards, but you look at the Quebec Rampires, they won the Memorial Cup last year. They played a tremendous game of hockey and, you know, as competitive as a guy uh, is there in the hockey world is Patrick Waugh. And I think, I don't know, they had six or eight fights the whole season, their team, you know, so the game has evolved. It is what it is, but yeah, certainly the odd one now and again, it certainly gets the crowd into it for sure. Awesome. And like I said, finding the, you know, the common or the middle ground between the respect of the athlete and, and, you know, a little, the entertainment aspect of being a, a fan. Right. So, um, you know, I, I would like to, uh, wanted to wish you this at the beginning of the podcast, but I kind of forgot, but I'd, I'd like to uh, congratulate you on all your success that has uh, been over your career at UNB. Um, you know, uh, I believe it's nine championships you guys have won, uh, so far and counting. Yeah, nine for UMB, and uh, yeah, we've been fortunate to be part of eight, and, and a good friend of mine, Mike Kelly, got it all started there, another fellow Islander, and uh, yeah, no, no, we've been really, really fortunate, really blessed with a lot of outstanding uh, players, obviously, uh, most important, but just tremendous coaches I've had uh, since starting here, uh, and a number of them have helped out as an assistance, but uh, we get great support, uh, you know, our uh, newest UNB president, uh, Dr. Paul Maserol, was actually a former uh, UNB Red Devil uh, as a goaltender. And uh, we, you're right from the top down, we get tremendous support. And, uh, you know, I dropped the puck on Friday night at uh, Dr. Maserol, and uh, he's just a keen supporter of her program. And uh, we've been fortunate. I'll, I'll, you know, he's the fourth president I've had, and they've all been tremendous supporters so and, and the community of Fredericton uh, and the outlying community we get so many fans uh, but I think it's just the passion of of hockey in Atlantic Canada it's neat to be you know born in PEI and just see the passion uh, on all four provinces at every level uh, you know we just have the Atlantic Challenge for the, the 15s and the 16s I guess 14s are just met in Moncton this weekend and just the passion for that event and you know see how many the players still playing well and, and getting better and just really putting Atlantic Canada on the map and maybe the one last thing I, I meant to mention uh, Pierre uh, uh, just in coaching you know the I guess making mistakes in the losses and going back to the coach, uh, like uh, sometimes like, uh, 
you know, I think players have to make mistakes, even in your practice session, even in skating and things like that. You know, there's, you don't get better if you, if you don't learn to fail in a positive way, you know, even if you're pushing them to go a little faster on turns, you know, if they're comfortable going around the circle, they're going to stay mediocre. If you want them to go as fast as they can and maybe wipe out, that's the only way they're going to get faster and, and have their brain impulses get faster and their body following their brain impulses, you know, and then even losses. I think, you know, losses are part of the experience. And, and uh, you know, and that goes back to life. It's, it's not always going to be a straight road, and especially nowadays for young kids coming up. You know, they've, they've had to deal with COVID. And one of the things, you know, with COVID, the coping skills, you know, we kind of missed out a couple of years of that and the adversity. And, you know, I think sometimes, uh, you know, adversity to me, uh, you know, it's an instrument of the, of the poor, uh, can be a, a real weapon of the wise, you know. And again, it's, it's all pers uh, the perspective is all on the coach. After a loss, uh, he's the leader. You know, when he goes into the room with the seven-year-olds or the 15-year-olds and, and how he, you know, perceives, hey, this is a, a chance to get better. And, and you lose a positive experience, I think, can help in the big picture, you know, and, uh, and the same as, you know, in your practice. You know, if you're making your practice where everyone can achieve everything, well, maybe it wasn't an, an where you need it to be. You know, sometimes you have to have a little bit of that, you know, adjustment and... and Good day, everybody, and welcome back to the Coach's Plan Podcast. Bienvenue et rebonjour au podcast Plan de Coach. A little bit, I don't, I wouldn't call it failure because if you learn from it, it's not failure, you know, that type of thing. So that's another big, I, I think a big part of, of coaching as well. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. And I, I couldn't, uh, couldn't agree more with you. Like I said, I, um, the aspect of uh, of being there and and always uh, pushing uh, for the you know the competitive edge over over your opponent at the end of the day like you said it, it is a a competition um but you know you can have fun uh, while you're competing as well right besides that coach mac do you have anything that you'd like to plug in any uh where can people find you if they would like to uh to reach out yeah, no, no. I think first of all, just uh, really appreciate a chance to uh, you know, speak to some coaches a couple of weeks ago at Pickaroons there uh, during the the coaches week. So that was it's always neat experiences, and I think you always uh, get good perspective. Uh, it's interesting the, the coaches there. I think we, we had one hockey coach, and we had I think probably fifteen or sixteen coaches from every other sport going. Uh, you know, I, I got a chance to talk to a, a lady of rhythmic gymnastics who's well known in the Fredericton area, and, and she had great perspective on how how she connected with uh, you know the the player or her her athletes and that type of thing. So uh, no, I think uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Hopefully, there's one or two things that can help out any of the coaches that listen to the podcast here, and uh, we appreciate our home opener. We had you know twenty five hundred plus, and uh, we appreciate the support and hopefully uh like you say uh people will get a chance to come out and watch it's a great uh you know form of hockey high performance hockey but uh we're wishing all the coaches out there the very best uh in their year and uh we don't talk about winning that much at umb or the best but best being the ackerman better every single time and uh, another philosophy of coaches can have that each practice trying to make it the best ever and the next practice trying to make it just a little bit better you know, so thanks for your time. That's much appreciated. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Coach Mac. You can catch Coach Mac behind the bench at all University of New Brunswick home games. If you want to catch the UNB schedule, please check out GoRedsGo.ca. You can also check out CoachNB.ca to check out all the latest news and initiatives that Coach NB has in place. Once again, I'm your co-host, Peel Savoy. That's all we have for this episode, and we'll catch you guys next time.